Good morning. Thanks uh, again for, I'm excited that, that Redeemer, y'all have welcomed me to come and, and preach to y'all again. Um, I always enjoy doing that, and I always will always want to take a second to thank y'all for your support of Roads RUF, and, and we, we were able to use your building for all sorts of fun things like our barn dance and things, and, and I'm looking forward to, after, after uh, a couple years, a uh, year and a half of COVID and stuff, I'm looking forward to y'all getting to meet some of my Rhodes students in the fall as they as they come back to campus here in, in August and uh, and come and worship here at Redeemer with y'all. So um, just thanks again for y'all's support. And uh, and before we jump into this passage, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I, I pray that you would speak uh, through this passage, a very strange passage, Lord. I pray that uh, we don't often think about uh, work and glorifying you in the gospel, Lord. And I pray that that this psalm um, would enlighten us um, about, about the gospel and that it would uh, give us a real purpose and joy um, in our work. I pray this in your name. Amen. So this is a psalm uh, of work, a song about work in the Psalms of Ascent. And I don't know about you, uh, but often when I think about work, uh, you know, I think about kind of I always have that sort of ancient myth in my mind of Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill. Uh, you know, for it to just come back down the hill again. And that can, you know, look at different, that doesn't, you know, I'm not actually rolling a boulder up a hill. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a summer job I had might have felt that way. Um, but what I am is waking up every day and seeing more and more emails in my inbox um, to deal with. Or, you know, every week seeing the, the lawn needs to be cut, needs to be mowed. You know, just that, that this kind of constant feeling of work and sort of this feel that, like, work is a curse or that it's kind of, you know, it just sort of is vain and worthless, that we're like hamsters running on a hamster wheel, that kind of, that kind of feel. Um, and then others of us, you know, maybe as I kind of got older, you know, shifted to kind of, I always think of uh, where my, you know, my family were watching Loki now on Disney Plus uh, with, with the Marvel, the MC, if you've heard of a thing called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, but, you know, Loki is this character throughout the movies, and there's a show now on just focusing on him. Um, about Loki trying to find this glorious purpose that he's, you know, in his work, his aim is to kind of, you know, rule people, to take over worlds, to be important, to have great power and influence. And I think that's another way that we kind of think of work is like a work is a place to make a name for itself, this glorious purpose. And, and I think about, you know, one of the things I love about Loki is, uh, is one of the actors I really love, Owen Wilson, is in, is in Loki. And one of my favorite movies from, my, from kind of my high school years was his first movie with his brother Luke called Bottle Rocket. And probably many of y'all have not seen that. But, uh, but one of the, there's a favorite scene of mine where he, his brother's going through a hard time and you know, but and Owen is getting so excited about all the plans and all the things that they have to do, and he's like, "Look at all these plans and look at all these pictures! Like, get excited for life!" You know, and you know, and Luke Wilson, who's playing his brother in the movie and his brother in real life, but just looks at looks at him and is like, "You know, your list isn't doing doing it for me. You know, this is not doing it for me right now." And and I think when I first looked at this psalm as I was preparing to teach this morning, that's the way I kind of felt about this psalm. The, the psalm's not really doing it for me as far as getting me excited, you know, necessarily about work. Reading the psalm, it seems kind of cliche in a sense, like it's just sort of saying like, 
you know, this kind of like what would maybe be on a calendar or something like work without God at the center is in vain, or, or basically if you don't believe in God, your work is in vain, you know, but that doesn't seem to make sense with, with what we see people doing. You know, and then sort of this like seemingly disconnected three verses that basically just say, blessed are you who has lots of children. You know, which if you don't have a lot of children, makes you feel a little weird. And because a lot of us want to have a lot of children, but maybe we're not married or maybe we're not able to. We're not in a stage of life where we could do that anymore. And so what is this Psalm of Ascent actually starting to do? And, and you know, we've been going through the Psalms of Ascent these last few weeks here at Redeemer. You know, the songs that the people of God would sing as they journeyed to the temple or as they arrived um, kind of on a pilgrimage. And here we get a very interesting and different kind of psalm of ascent than what we've been looking at because this psalm takes more of the shape of a wisdom psalm uh, and a wisdom psalm about work. You know, in wisdom psalms, there's a few of them. Psalm 1 is another one. Uh, the very first psalm is a wisdom psalm that has kind of various short sayings and other phrases like, blessed is the man who... Um, and, and in Psalm 20, 127, you see other phrases out of wisdom literature as well. Um, you have vanity being repeated and vain, and that's you know, a phrase often used in Ecclesiastes. You have this beloved language that we see in the Song of Songs and the Song of Solomon. And of course, if you look, you know, the author of Psalm 127 is Solomon, you know, the wise king of Israel who traditionally authored much of the wisdom literature. So this psalm is a reminder you know, is trying to give us wisdom of how to achieve the good life, how to be blessed, and in particular, you know, the good life as it pertains to work. It assumes that we can approach, you know, work wrongly, and that we often do. <coughs> and so we, we, we sing this psalm, and we talk about this psalm, because it's trying to encourage us in the right way to approach work, so that we can be blessed people, and so that we, you know, like Loki, can find our glorious purpose. And so here's a song about how to be happy and how to enjoy work, how to be blessed. So what does this psalm say about work? Well, it says basically two things. You know, like any good wisdom psalm, it discusses the wrong way to approach work, which is verses 1 through 2, and then it shows us the right way in verses 3 through 5. So first, the wrong way, and now I have to apologize, um, but I need to get nerdy for a couple of minutes to go outside this passage and go take us back to Genesis 1. I mean, this is always where my Rhodes students tell me, John, it's okay. You know, you're always nerdy. You don't have to, like, say, do an aside to say I'm going to get nerdy. You just are nerdy. Um, but, you know, so we need to go back to the beginning of the whole story of the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3. In Genesis 1, God works. He creates. He does all sorts of things. And it's structured as a work week. That God works for six days creating the world, and then he rests on the seventh day. So God works and God rests, and he creates humans, male and female, in the image of God. Which means that we, as humans, resemble God. And so what does that mean? That means that we are now created to work and to rest. So God works and rests, and we creatures created in the image of God, we work and rest as well. Just in case you need convincing, Genesis 2.15 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. So in other words, God works and humans work. And there's dignity in work. It's, a created, it's our created purpose. And often I think we see work as some sort of punishment or as part of the fall you know, but that doesn't happen until Genesis 3. Work 
being created for work actually comes before the fall. And we see Adam and Eve here as gardeners. You know, further in Genesis 2, we see that they were called to name all the animals in the garden. And so they're scientists. And in Genesis 2, we see Adam, the end of it, Adam writes a poem or a song uh, to Eve. You know, his love for Eve. And so here in the first two chapters of the Bible, we have humans, you know, before the fall, we have them farming, we have them being scientists, and we have them, you know, performing art and being artists. So, so they were created to work and to rest, to fulfill God's plan. You know, and this plan was to fulfill the whole earth with the image of God. You know, and this phrase gets uttered over and over again throughout the Bible, be fruitful and multiply. Now, often we see this as God telling Adam and Eve, you know, to have kids, to multiply. But it means way more than that. And on page one of your bulletins, I have a couple quotes here that I'm going to read. The first is by Philip Ryken. He says this, We have a God-given responsibility to develop the possibilities of creation in ways that reveal our Maker's praise, and thus to fill the whole earth with His glory. We are to do this in science, politics, business, sports, literature, film, and all the arts. It is not just one part of life that ought to glorify God, but all of life in all its fullness. This is the way things were meant to be. Another professor, Dr. John Collins, he was actually somebody who, he's an ESV Old Testament editor, translated this psalm that we read this morning. He says this, Mankind's original purpose was to begin from Eden, work their way outward, spreading the blessings of Eden to all the earth. This would mean managing all its creatures and resources for good purposes, to allow beauty to flourish, to use them wisely and kindly, and to promote well-being for all. So therefore, we glorify our God, not just by coming here on Sunday morning and worshiping him, but we can glorify God as we work. You know, and, and any work done as part of this plan to spread blessing to others is blessed work, is, is part of God's project for this world. You know, and we see this, we see, we know that, that we were created, you know, to work you know, because we see things like in my, in my kids, you know, actually I say my kids, in me as a kid too, and me as an adult, you know, we take, we love Legos, like looking at all the Legos. We don't like stepping on Legos, but we love building things with Legos and putting them together, you know, uh, like, and with, with gaming, like why are the most popular games right now, Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, you know, video games where there's sandboxes where you take these platforms and create all sorts of things for people to enjoy, all sorts of games. You know, that, that the amazingness of, of all the different parts of creation that came together to make an iPhone, you know, or, or for the Apple haters, to make an Android phone, like to come together to do that. And, I, you know, it's funny. I was texting. I have a friend who has this whole theory that because he's a music person, he loves vinyl records, but he, he thinks about how the phonograph that apparently Thomas Edison invented, he just was like, this makes no sense that somebody could, like, Decide, like, hey, I speak into a cone, and it comes onto a piece of plastic, and we put a needle on it, and the sound comes back. Like, who could think of that? So he's like, he just thinks there's some kind of divine inspiration or aliens or time travelers somehow got him to invent this. But really what it's saying is humans have been created with a purpose to work and to create and to bring out all the goodness of the good creation. So I think the first thing this psalm is showing us is that when we work, we should work with God's purpose. 
in mind, knowing that work is not just for survival, you know, building a house. It's not just for security, the city walls, in verse 1, or to gain power or influence. We work because God works and because we were created to work. And if we lose sight of this, our work will certainly feel in vain. You know, we, we often spend much of our lives focusing on what to do, but not why and how. And I'm always talking to my road students about this because the discussions we have, you know, almost always are about what they want to do when they get out of roads and what they want to study while they're at it roads. But often we don't even think about or reflect on, you know, what kind of student we want to be, what kind of worker or employee we want to be, and the kind of character we want to display as we work, and why we're going to go and do what we're going to do. You know, and unfortunately, again, going back to Genesis 1 through 3, if you keep reading in Genesis, you read chapter 3 in the fall, Adam and Eve sin, and so sin and brokenness enter the world, and now work becomes cursed. Because now, because of sin, we struggle and we forget our identity, that we're made in the image of God, that we're loved by God. We forget that. So now, rather than work being part of God's plan of blessing the world, work instead, instead of being a purpose, work becomes just a way to find our identity. You know, in Genesis 11, a few chapters later in the Tower of Babel, show this clearly, as Babel works to make a name for themselves. The people in Babel want to have an identity. They want to have a great name, similar to Loki that we talked about. You know, they no longer are working to be fruitful, to bring blessing. They're working to survive, to succeed, to be great, to have power, to feel secure. And they begin to identify themselves by the tower they're building, by their own work. And we see this in our culture. I mean, it's very obvious. This is, you know, in America, how we identify around our work. You know, how when you meet somebody for the first time, how do we identify ourselves? You know, we may tell them our name, but we're for sure going to tell them what we do for a living. You know, what our vocation is. We always tell people that because that's how we, talk, how we show our identity to someone else. You know, it's how we gain worth and meaning in our culture, how we measure ourselves against others. And this psalm is saying when our work is our identity, when it is a means to its own ends, when it, was, when it is done without God in mind, it is vanity, that it is worthless. Again, if you watch the show Loki, that's something that Loki's beginning to realize about his glorious purpose, that, that it actually begins to feel worthless, that it feels like vanity. A few applications here. Work as an identity. Why is it not good? Why does it not bring blessing? Because it is a harsh taskmaster. It breeds self-righteousness and arrogance when successful and then despair when you fail. And what it always breeds is stress because there's never any stability. Because even if you're super successful and, and very secure, well, then tomorrow is always another day. And tomorrow can bring failure. And tomorrow can bring something unpredictable to your life. And so there's stress. Another thing we see is that work is not punishment. And different kinds of jobs are no more valuable to God than other kinds of jobs. You know, obviously jobs have different responsibilities. Does that does not mean that they are superior, that you should ever see certain jobs as beneath you, or especially see that other people are beneath you because of the jobs they do. You know, and, and people always talk about the God of the universe came, to, if you're a Christian, you believe the God of the universe came to the world 
And, you know, most of the world would say, what did he come as? He would have come as a great politician, or he would come as a great general, or he would come as a great artist. And, but Jesus came and was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He crafted. You know, and yet he glorified God every minute of his life through that work. So we see that work is also not just a way to make a living and earn money. That God sees work much bigger than often we see it. You know, and now, to, you know, to work to make a living and earn money, that is a good reason to work. But if it is the only reason or the main reason, you know, at least I can say this for my summer jobs growing up, you know, you will probably be a bad employee if that's your only reason is, is to make money. It'll be hard to be a blessing. And one of these, you know, kind of blogger, sort of online people, that like financial guy, sort of a stoic. I don't agree with everything he says, but he was giving sort of this like TED talk. And, um, called, his name's Mr. Money Mustache. This is like online name. And he says this. He said this. The purpose of work is to create and bless. The purpose of earning money is to have enough money. And often we think the purpose of work is earning money, when really the purpose of work is to create and to bless. And it also sometimes, I think, gets us into this feeling, at least in America, that all work, you know, that, that the, the good kind of work or the, the more important kind of work is, quote, paid work. You know, and so, so like when I was in grad school compared to when my wife Lee was, you know, working at a bank and then at the seminary, you know, her work was real work and my work was not because I wasn't making any money. But yet what the Bible says is both of our work was the same. And in the same way, you know, when, when we had kids and Lee no longer worked at seminary but worked with the kids, that was real work. In fact, that was probably much harder work than the work that I was doing, um, you know, as a campus minister, even though I was being paid to do that. You know, so that, so that there's all sorts of work and, you know, this is chores and, and all sorts of things that we do that we work and glorify God, but we're not getting paid for it. And this kind of concept of work and pay being so linked has led to a lot of sexism and classism in the last century. You know, maternity and paternity leave are not people leaving from work. It's people leaving from their jobs to go do another job, you know, a very hard job, uh, which is taking care of, you know, a little baby, an infant. And so it, it's, it is wrong to ever claim more importance because you, quote, bring in money compared to other people. You know, or that, that interns and people like that don't have, quote, real jobs and things like that, that that I hear all the time. And this brings us to our second verse, you know, with work and rest, because we struggle with work and rest. Look at verse 2. When we work without God, i.e. forgetting our identity and our purposes, we will not rest. We may work hard, but it's merely for the bread of anxious toil. But that does not bring the good life because it does not bring rest. And, and the psalmist says here, because remember, God rested and God brings rest. And so we are created for rest. You know, God is not a God of 100-hour work weeks and all-nighters. You know, how do we know this? Because God, it literally says here in the text, God created us to sleep. He gives us sleep. God created us in his image. And what he decided to do is the, the way to live under God is to be completely useless for one-third of your life to be asleep. God created us to actually need that. Like if we try to, you know, and my students try to, especially during exam time, to beat sleep, and they slowly go insane. We have to sleep. God is telling us biologically we're created to rest. 
You know, and I fight this so much in my life, and I struggled to rest. And I just went on a sabbatical um, for a short amount of time. My committee put me on a sabbatical after being in college ministry for 15 years, and I wasn't always happy about it. Why? Because I struggled to rest, and I can put my identity in my work, even when it's ministry work. And, and, and a sabbatical forced me to rest and to learn that REF Rhodes would survive without me. Because even if I'm not there, God is at work through REF Rhodes and through my staff and through everybody else. God desires for us to rest. And part of having a proper work-life balance is not putting your identity into your work, wherever God's called you and for all the things that he's called you to do. You know, God's people, I think, struggle to rest You know, all throughout the Old and New Testament, we see this. You know, and back then, they had culture and technological forces helping them out. Like, they had things like weather that just shut them down for three months. They had night. You know, they didn't have electricity. Like, it was night. It was like, I guess we'll go to sleep now. You know, they didn't, and they had distances. Like, if somebody was in some other town, they couldn't contact you in any way. We don't. You know, this message is even more crucial for us today when we carry computers in our pockets and never really stop working and can always be found by the people we're working for. You know, I always joke with my students, you know, when they're home after exams and after a hard semester and their parents get frustrated because they're like binging Netflix or, you know, or, or gaming too much, you know, I just tell them, you need to say, look, mom and dad, I'm glorifying God right now by fulfilling my created purpose of rest. And, and we laugh because most of us would feel really guilty and think it's wrong doing nothing for an entire day somehow. And yet God, the God of the universe, took a whole day off. And so what happens to us in, this, in kind of modern times, and I wish we could go on for this longer, um, but for time or not, but we have this weird dance where even as we rest, we feel guilty for not working. And often when we're at work, we feel guilty for not resting enough. You know, and, and this is the dance we do. And it's hard, and so we have to begin to institute times of rest, you know, and, have, and maybe have more clarity in that, or times to put our phones away and things like that. I mean, that's just trying to figure out wise things for us, how we can find that balance. And, of course, we can abuse rest, too, just like work as well. Paul addresses that in the second letter to Thessalonians. Um, but, one, that's a topic for another day. And, two, you know, just have to, I always have to remind people that, like, all the, almost all the other cultures in the world think Americans are workaholics, And so resting too much may not be our issue here at Redeemer. But how can we have a true work-rest balance? Well, we see it in the gospel. And we talked about it already in our worship service and sung about it. You know, and ultimately the gospel is that God works on our behalf, that God brings us rest, not just temporarily, but eternal rest, that in Jesus we can rest in what he's done for us. So the gospel allows us not to put our identity in work or even in finding security and rest, but in, but in God's love for us, we can rest in that. And that we're in his image. And that when our identity is put in our work, we're worshiping work. And it's how we justify ourselves. And that does not lead to a blessed life. But when our identity is in Christ, you see that work begins to have dignity, that it provides fulfillment, that we see it as part of God's project to bring blessing to other people. But it does not become our entire identity. You're no longer consumed with achievement to justify yourself, but your self-worth and your self-esteem come from Jesus' love and his work on your behalf, his grace. And that's why we can come to him heavily burdened, and Jesus promises to give us 
rest. So let's go back to Genesis for just a moment as we close up. Because while we are created for work and rest, we are also created for relationships. And if we go back to Genesis 1 through 2, we read about how everything is good over and over and over again in Genesis 1 and the, and the beginning of Genesis 2. And even that it's very good. But when we read further in Genesis 2, we read that there is something that is not good. And it's not good that man was alone. It's not good that Adam was alone. He needs Eve. And again, this makes sense because we're created in the image of God. And God is three persons. You know, the Trinity. He's eternally in relationship. God is never alone. And so, being made in the image of God, we are created for relationships. And so now, being fruitful and multiplying takes on a whole new meaning. And we see later in Genesis 12, in contrast to Babel in Genesis 11, God is going to bless Abram with children, and, and he promises to give them a great name. Not a great way, name because of work they did, but a great name because he loves them. Why? Because they have a purpose so that he and his children can be a blessing to the world. And now we see that work is relational. We work to take part in God's plan of creating a people to go be a blessing. And here's where we see the connection to verses 3 through 5 that seems sort of strange to us on first reading. Because this is not some passage telling telling us to have lots of kids, though the Bible is cool with that. You know, and, and that's, you can take that application away to have a lot of kids. But that's not, that's not you know, we, we're not all able to do that. It's giving us an obvious example of work that is not in vain. They're saying, here's what not to do with work. Well, here's what is good and blessed work. The work of raising children. Work that is hard and tiring, but work that also brings blessing to the world. And ultimately, as we see in verse 5, blessing to the parents as well. That we see how this work is fruitful and multiplying, but also how it can lead one to the good life. You know, verse 5 talks about that your work ends up becoming your rest. That for a parent, it becomes your blessing as your children grow up to bring you love and security. When you face your enemies at the gate, and that that enemies at the gate is a metaphor often in the Old Testament for death. But again, that shows that often the most important work one does does not gain you any income. You know, and I think, I, at least for me personally, I have it on good authority that parenting is actually a work that loses you money. So while having lots of children is great, you know, not all of us are able to. So the bigger application of this text that applies to every single one of you this morning is realizing you are created for work and rest and relationship that we need to begin to think more relationally and with the bigger picture of God's kingdom about our work, from our jobs to our daily chores. And obviously, you know, what I'm about to say is, very pretty, is pretty countercultural. But who you are here at Redeemer, who you are with your family, should not be different than the way you are at work. Your mission does not change. You know, that you should... Think about the relationships at your work with your employees, coworkers, employers, and of course your customers, clients, patients, students. They matter. All of it matters. And of course, you know, Jesus saw family and children as bigger than just biology. You know, but the church was his family. That all who were in him were his true family. And the church and baptism It's tasked with caring for all its new family members and raising up the next generation. Again, something that 
at least in America, shows that we're struggling with right now when it comes to the church. But Jesus wants us to bless the world in the church, in our relationships, as we rest, but also in our work. If you go back to page one in the bulletin, here's a quote from James Hunter. It's the one on the very bottom, um, professor of Virginia. He says this, Even if our tasks in this world do not have ultimate significance, that does not mean that the tasks we perform have no spiritual significance. To be sure, sin pervades work, and in our own day, capitalism transforms the nature of work in ways that can be profoundly dehumanizing. But this does not negate the dignity that comes from tasks well done or the good done for neighbor and stranger alike. As to our spheres of influence, the theology of faithful presence obligates us to, what we're, to do what we are able, under the sovereignty of God, to shape the patterns of life and work and relationship. That is, the institutions of which our lives are constituted. Towards a shalom, a peace, that seeks the welfare not only of those of the household of God, but of all. This is God's picture of the good life, where we are blessing the world through our work. And ultimately, though we live in a broken world, and so there's a cursed feature to our work, this is hard stuff. This is really difficult. We have been freed up by the gospel to struggle with this stuff, to not seek an identity in our work or to neglect rest for the sake of our jobs or security, but to rest in Jesus' work on our behalf, to rest in what the gospel says about us. So it frees us up to begin to fulfill this purpose and to figure out what it means for our lives. So now we're not only loved by God and made in his image, but we're a new creation, united to Christ, a sure identity in him. And this brings us to a point where now we can go in to our jobs inspired. Mirsov Volf, um, another professor, says it like this, when a person does her secular task in grateful beings, this is also on your page one, by the way, for the new life God has given her, she also works out the experience of God's grace. But grace remains in the background. It only compels her to act. But when grace gifts and enables a person to do a particular task, then it stands at the very heart of her work. The appropriate response of such an experience is not so much naked, though thankful obedience, as it is joyful willingness to employ the capabilities conferred in the entrusted project, that project to be a blessing. Though not fully absent, the sense of duty gives way to the sense of inspiration. So in the gospel, we're no longer working out of duty or even just as a response to God's grace in worship. Jesus actually becomes the source behind why we do what we do. He becomes the source of how we do it. And Jesus knows that this is hard. And so he gives us his family, the church, to strengthen us as we go out into the world with this glorious purpose, to bless others and to receive blessing from them as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for um, being a God who cares about work, who cares about our daily lives, Lord. And I pray that I know so many people here this morning are probably struggling in work. It's been a hard last couple years working, Lord. I pray that for those who are struggling to find redemption and places to love in their work, I pray that you would give them encouragement, that you would give them wisdom. And um, I just pray that you would help us all uh, love our neighbors, um, love our families, and, and continue uh, to be part of your project and know that when we fail, your grace covers us and, and that we're loved. I praise in your name. Amen.